catching you up with the latest news from around the Sunshine State that you should know, heading into this Friday morning, March 3rd. I'm Elliot Trito, and this is The Point from WUFT News. printers have gained traction for people to create, like statues, models, and even cosplay. However, two researchers at the University of Florida have recently found a new way to use 3D printing technology, food. I spoke with Assistant Professor Adam Watson of the Agricultural and Biological Engineering Department about how he and Zinyev Boz accomplished this. Yeah, so, you know, 3D printing has been around for quite a while, and so uh, typically, these applications of 3D printing, I think most people in, have a good sense that we're using plastics to kind of deposit a, a layer of material and, and build successive layers until you form a three-dimensional shape. But in the early 2000s, they started to kind of experiment with using food ingredients, right? And so here, we're using that same additive manufacturing process that you use with plastics by successively depositing and extruding layers of food ingredients onto a flat surface. In that case, we can use uh, basically food grade materials like syringes to hold that food product and deposit it in a way that creates you know, new and, and innovative products, uh, unique products, and, and even personalized nutrition. Uh, we can customize things like the, the shape, the color, the texture, uh, even the flavor and nutrition, it makes it very flexible to use in a, in a wide variety of situations. So what encouraged the both of you to do this? Yeah, so initially we, we had thought about purchasing, and, and I do want to preface, we, we didn't invent this technology. We we're just using it at, in terms of uh, its application to, to understand the way in which consumers may accept the, the food products created using 3D printing, the adoption of these technologies. But initially, we got interested in it because we wanted to use it as a teaching tool. So Dr. Zinnett Boz and I, we, we teach courses in our, our programs. And so my interest in this was, is I have a, a course, it's AOM 4060, Agri-Food Systems Innovation. And you know we kind of go through the, the role that innovation plays in the food system in terms of uh, transforming the way that we, we interact and consume food. Um, and so one of the food product development projects that I assigned in my course, I wanted a, a way that students could use technology to develop their food product concept. And so the 3D printer was one of those tools that I started exploring. And so back in, in 2021, uh, we submitted a small proposal to you know, get enough funds so we could purchase uh, this food 3D printer. And, and that way the students could use it to think about, conceptualize, and, and, and transform their ideas into an actual product. A cool element I found interesting in your research was how you were able to make leftover food into tableware. Can you expand upon that? Yeah, so, you know, really you can deposit and create most shapes using the food 3D printer. There, there are some structural limitations, right? So I, I can't print, you know, things like a, a suspension bridge made out of mashed potatoes, it would just fall apart. But something that has, um, you know, solid structure to it and like, a, you know, for example, a spoon or a fork, I, I can 3D print that out of a certain material, and, and once it dries, it can be used as uh, a utensil, you know, for consuming another meal. And then with that regard, you know, you, you don't have any perhaps leftover waste from a plastic spoon that's going to be discarded and find its way into uh, that waste stream. So it, it's a good way of, of using leftover materials in ways that we might not have thought about before. So what's next? 
Yeah, so you know there are some limitations I think to this technology as it currently sits. The 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 cost is still rather high for the average consumer. So the, the particular device that we purchase is the Fudini LP2. It retails for close to $4,000 and that's kind of a hard pill for certain consumers to swallow. So I think, you know, what's next is that the technology cost still has to come down a little bit before it's widely adopted. I think that the we also have to start looking at ways of improving the production speed. It's not a, a very fast process to print uh, your item, right? It could take up to 20 minutes. I think for the average consumer, that might not be quick enough for them. So there, there's a lot of hurdles that we still need to kind of overcome through research to understand the the ease of use, the acceptability, the perceptions of this technology, as well as focusing on the properties of the ingredients itself, because they have slightly different properties from normal food products that, that we have to pay attention to in terms of delivering the final product to the consumer. So thinking about things like viscosity, thickness, and texture, these are all what we call rheological properties, right? When you're dealing with the the formation and deformation of, of solids and liquids under different stresses and strains. Those things impact the overall quality of your product. And so understanding those is, is a big part of, of what we're doing. Have you tasted the food? If so, do you think you're a good 3D printer cook? Yeah, you know, we have tasted it. Uh, we, we don't focus as much on um, the sensory qualities in, in our program. We're not a what we would call a food safe lab, right? We're, we're really more interested in, in the physical properties um, of these ingredients, as well as the, the perceptions that consumers have about these. But, but I have tasted it. Um, the thing to kind of realize is it's, it's still real food. There's, there's nothing different about the food that we put in these uh, devices. You can use you know, purees and sauces, uh, cheeses. We, we use dough. Um, we've been using uh, more recently mashed potatoes, but also uh, masa flour. It's it's really good for uh, you know structuring. It's kind of like a mix between kinetic sand and play-doh. So uh, it's also a very cheap material. So we don't have to spend a lot of money when we're just kind of experimenting in there. Um, but but we have tasted it. It's just not something that we're we're currently focused on quite as much. We'll we'll leave that to the food science and and human nutritionists. Anything else you want to add? No, I just think that this is a, a really great technology with a lot of different applications. So, you know, thinking along the lines of creating personalized nutrition, right? You can use this technology to provide uh, the necessary quantities of, of proteins and sugars and vitamins. It addresses perhaps issues of, of sustainability and circular economies, uh, being able to, to minimize that waste stream. There's a lot of applications for space exploration and, and, and military where you have supply chains that could be under uh, constraint or you have space limitations where you might need to be able to uh, you know, print food in, in a very confined area. Um, there's, there's a lot of markets that we could serve specific demographics like the elderly. So for example, some uh, people who are elderly have difficulties chewing and swallowing. They, they may suffer from a condition known as dysphagia. And so you can uh, puree and process certain ingredients like uh, you know, tubers and, and root uh, vegetables like carrots, and then you know, reconstitute them in the form of a 3D printed object that, that visually looks appealing, right? Uh, and then the last thing would be you know, things like restaurants and caterers and other institutions. And this can really help those uh, institutions 
uh, improve food innovation, personalized food at, at a reduced cost and time. That was the University of Florida's Adam Watson about how he and Zinia Baz could print food. Now let's catch you up in today's stories from around the state. Republican lawmakers on Wednesday filed proposals that seek to allow the death penalty for people who commit sexual batteries on children under age 12. According to the New Service of Florida, the proposals filed by Senator John Martin and Representative Jessica Baker conflict with long-standing decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court and the Florida Supreme Court that barred death sentences in such cases. The bills filed for the legislative session will start March 7th. Governor Ron DeSantis is walking back previous calls to slash Social Security and Medicare in a seeming evolution targeted for 2024. According to Florida Politics' A.G. Gankarski, DeSantis is renouncing that policy guidance, justifying it by saying the president has also changed positions on the matter, suggesting he believes it's, quote, okay because Joe Biden did the same thing. And finally, a researcher from the University of South Florida is searching for ways to revive marine environments and test medical technology that could prevent many diseases in people. But this one catch. He's doing it all 30 feet underwater and trying to do it for 100 days. According to WUSO's Megan Bowman, Joseph Tachiri will live in isolation for the mission called Neptune 100. Part of the work will see a psychologist and psychiatrist monitor the effects he experiences in an environment similar to extended space travel. Subscribe to The Point newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit WUFT.org to subscribe and view the most recent issues. I'm Elliot Trina, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Friday, and enjoy your weekend.